Welps and bitches. Stop chewing on your favorite toy. Is that Tyr's right hand? Wait at the window all day for Daddy Loki's return. And no, don't roll in that. You'll stink until Ragnarok. Because it's time to woof tell to me. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am Nick McGill. I am Omen Thomas Sade. We are the Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A fierce and fiery frolic in the dog park of Prague Rock, where orifice probing Omen and naughty dog Nick play a game of trust with our limbs. We'll join Joe Parrish James in a jaunt around the block, sniff every butt with Scott Hammond, brush the burrs out of John O'Hara's coat, and make sure that David Goodyear knows that he's a very good boy. <laughs> and if we're brave enough to join the pack, we'll sharpen the teeth of, scoop the poop of, and take for walkies... Ian Alloparenting Anderson. Oh, you my least favorite thing is expressing Ian Anderson's anal glands. Oh, I, oh, that's good. I should have, I should have done that. You're always thinking about the anal gland, so. That was a delightful triptych, Nick. Well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Nick, today we are going to be talking about the next song in the Roqueflute lineup. Roqueflute. Yes, we are. And if we detected a canine theme, that is appropriate because we are going to be talking about Wolf Unchained. Wolf off the hook. Track number six. <laughs> Sounds like a 90s fashion brand. Welcome to Wolf oh, it Unchained. Does. Yeah, really like baggy, big, big baggy jeans and yeah, like, like way oversized shirts. Like something you'd wear to like a rave festival. Or like an ICP concert. Yes, Insane yes. Insane Clown Posse. I, yeah. I figured that out. Are the Posseers, are the Insane Clown Posse people, are they um, into the drugs or do they just, their drug is face paint? I think their drug is face paint and beating the hell out of each other. What are they called? They're called Juggalos. Juggalos, oh, yeah. Get yeah. it right. Yeah. Jug Unchained. I don't, I didn't prepare for that song. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, Nick, today we're talking about Wolf Unchained, uh, featuring, or rather, about Fenrir the Wolf. Shall we have a listen? We put our ears into the jaws of this song. <laughs> and come away with one fewer by the end of it. Should we put this song into the jaws of our ears? And chomp away at that, too. Yeah, let's do that. Omen. That, at just shy of five terrestrial minutes, is Wolf Unchained. Is that the longest song thus far on the album? That is a good question. Let's see. That is, yeah, that is definitely the longest. So far or at all? Of all of the songs. The next one up is Navigators at 427, and okay. then Itaval is four even. And then everything else is is below four. Yeah. Quick ones. Yeah. 
We're almost halfway through this album. We are officially, as we end this episode, we will be half. This is six of 12. Do I need to sh show you the math to make that work? Uh, no, no. The fractions? Okay. Please, whatever you do, do not show me math. Yeah, that's right. Your doctor has prescribed no math. Yeah, highly allergic. Nick, what do you feel about this song? Is this something that you enjoy the listening of? To which, whether? I think when I, when I, I think when I heard it the first couple of times, it, it kind of bored me. Didn't really wow me until I really, really like sunk my teeth into it, sunk my ear teeth into it. And upon like really, really listening to getting deep down in the music itself, yes, I feel a new appreciation for it. Interesting. So you firstly listened to it lyrics-wise, perhaps? Yes, probably. Oh, yeah. Interesting, interesting. I wonder if that's like a difference between the two of us. Like, do you find that you mostly listen to lyrics when you listen to a song for the first time? Yes. Really? Hands down, yes. Yeah. What a nerd. I always, <laughs> I always listen to the music first. What a dweeb. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So yeah. for me, the thing that I really enjoy about this song is how hard it freaking rocks. Yeah, it does. And I love the interplay of Joe Paris James and Ian on this song. There's, a, mm -hmm. there's some playfulness that I think we have not heard in a little while that I've been missing. And, and it's fully here. It's a present and accounted for, as I think one reviewer said. And it's, it's great. Uh, I'm excited to dive in a little bit further. Yeah, this whole song itself is incredibly well-balanced. I hear everybody. Yeah, It's not one of those like, now you step into the spotlight, and now David steps in the spotlight. You know, it's not one of those, but I do still hear everybody. If I, if yes. I say, oh, I want to listen to drums this time, I can pick them out and I can carry it the whole way through. Same thing with bass, even. Yes, 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 yes. And, the, and each instrument does have a little moment of being featured, at least. There's a wonderful moment. It's the latter half of the breakdown, I think, right? At the end of the first breakdown, before we're going into yeah. the modern verses, there's a wonderful bass. Right, right. Everything kind of pulls back in the bass. Goes dum 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 dum. Pow. That's nice. It's really cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So we we start with and end with that wolf sound, a good kind of separate bookend. A lot like the whole album, we have Urna Birna. But this song itself has its own little kind of pocket of wolf sound. So here is the question that is on everybody's lips. Who did Ian make that sound? Who voiced the wolf? Yeah. Yeah. Did they just get it from stockwolf.com? <laughs> Stockwolf syndrome? Yeah. That's when, that's when you've been abducted by wolves, but you start to like them. And you you, you start to, to think that you're part of the pack. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think it's a real wolf? Yes, I do. Yeah, it sounds legit to me. Yeah. I was going to say the opposite. I was going to say, I think it's a human imitating a wolf. No. No, I don't think so. I definitely don't think so. I'm going to play it for my mom next weekend, and we'll get the real answer. Do it, yeah. The mammologist, please do. Yeah, Mom, mom the mammologist? Mom, mom, mammologist, yeah. 
The closing wolf howly bit is also accompanied by Ian's howl of a raspy flute and kind of like husky breathing. Yes. Which um, some people have, have commented that Ian's really prevalent breathing choices in here are sexy. And I can see how that, that is. I can see how some people would find like heavy concerted breathing sexy. Wow. I That was not where I thought this was going. I want to bring it all to the table, Omen. Here it is. Here it is. I just, I just thought it's interesting, you know? I mean, no, sure. I hadn't heard that. The strongest bit of breathing that we had was in, in uh, Voluspo, obviously. Yes, but, but I mean, he has not... He's not stopped breathing. Not yet. It's not a matter of the mic is picking up his breathing. It's, it's theatrical at this point. It's breathing as performance, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's interesting choices. Because, I mean, you could breathe to rhythm and maybe note and tone, but it's they're kind of just thrown in there as like messy and mortal and human, you know? Yes, yes, yes. There is something very visceral, very fleshy about it, you know, especially mm-hmm. when we are mm-hmm. talking about gods who are basically immortal. Right, yeah. There is something beautiful about reminding us, like, all of this exists in the imagination of mortals who are very mortal. Right, that's exactly it. So the vulva told the gods, the gods told the humans, and the humans are the ones who spread that tale, but they're the ones who die, so they have to keep spreading that tale. There is no one unified uh, storyteller. By using the breath to speak it out. Exactly, and, and Ian is that storyteller in this instance, yeah. It's really interesting, Yeah. Let's break it down. Let's break on. Let's break down all the musical elements. So you you pointed out we first have that. Yeah. Immediately then, the guitar and flute comes in. Ian is playing fast on the flute. The guitar is providing support, almost a drone. That is a theme that we re-come back to several times throughout this song where the guitar is providing structural support for the flute. Yes. And then at other times, the synth is providing structural support for the guitar. Yeah. And then other times the synth pops up, like right after that flute guitar, we get... It's a very 80s sounding synth in this one. And it jumps in feet first, and I like it. I was going to say that the combination between the synth and the guitar gives me Crest of an A vibes. Mmm. Steel Monkey. In fact, yes. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. And I'm not mad about it. No, no, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's not one of those, like, we're going to play this awesome rock song, and, oh, it just so happened to sound 80s. There is so much intention in the song to, to make it sound like this. You can set a synth to whatever you want it to sound like, but they chose this like broad, sweepy, electric swinging sting. And I love it. I love the choice. It's great. It's a lot of fun. It really brings a lightness to this song. It does. It does. It feels reminiscent of Broadsword. Mm-hmm. It feels, you know, it's, it's, it feels like tall. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I, I feel like this album is the new old Tull sound. Tull Unchained. 
Tall Unchained. That's it. That is going to be Ian's autobiography. <laughs> that would be a hell of a book. I wouldn't believe a word of it. I, I know for a fact he would leave so much out. So much. It's like three pages long. I started Jethro Tull. I married Shona. Here I am writing this book. <laughs> or did I? Or did I? <laughs> My dad once had a bunch of boxes of documents, like personal documents in the barn. And I was worried about them getting eaten by rodents and, and stuff like that. He didn't seem to really be concerned about them. Yeah. And I said, Dad, don't you want those documents for when you write your autobiography? And he said, I want to destroy those documents so that when I write my autobiography, there will be no contradictions. I will be the first one in line to buy D. Sade's autobiography. Oh, I know. Oh, man. I know. Oh, character he is. There's some lovely walkdowns by JPG, by JPJ. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. There's some also wonderful ascending patterns. It's almost like we descend into the underworld, marshy, hidden cove where Fenrir is being kept. And then mm. we ascend out of it, perhaps riding on his back like two little fleas to witness the destruction of the world. Yeah, it's mostly from start to the end of the big breakdown. It's mostly st steps down. It's mostly getting kind of deeper and darker, it feels. But at the very end of that breakdown, everything starts to build up again. We get, we get yes. the flute going up, we get the synth going up, we get JPJ going up. There's a lot of pageantry to it. It's like, and we're going back up. We're ascending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very dramatic, as it should be. I mean, the story that we're dealing yeah. with is, you'd be hard-pressed to find something more dramatic, and I'm excited to talk about it. It's bonkers, yeah. It's one of the good ones. The time signature, any guesses for this song? 4-4 four, four or 8-8. Eight, eight. I'll take it. It's 12-12. Because it's accurate. No, it's. I think it's 4-4. Four, <laughs> four. It makes sense in 4-4. Four, four. Okay. Okay. And it's not, you know, it's not being played kind of straight four on the floor. We're getting a lot of really interesting pickups and rhythms, but it's pretty straightforward. Okay. And what that allows is for them to play super freaking fast. All over the place, yeah. And take us on this crazy journey. There's some wonderful modulations. And so I love the part where it's talking about all set to roam and havoc make amongst the nine worlds of the sun. And then when we transition to but soft as silk, strong fetters fixed, there's a shift from this kind of like really, really dark tone to a little bit of lightness coming in, a little bit of a lift, mm. a little bit of hope coming into the picture. All set to roam and havoc make amongst the nine worlds of the sun. But soft as silk, strong fetters fixed. It does feel, I'm just vibing here. Vibe away. Please allow me to vibe. Love of God. <laughs> oh, that's vibrate. Sorry, different. <laughs> It feels like that this song is, it's got this chaotic energy to it, which is being held almost like a wolf on a chain. Yeah. When you see those, and I, I don't recommend that people do this, but when people leave their dogs chained out in the yard to like a fixed point mm -hmm. and the dog has run that circle. Yeah, worn down. Or that there's like literally a, a circle of, of worn down grass. 
that's what yeah. it reminds me of is when is when or when you go to somebody's house and they have a very naughty dog and they're trying to kill you, but you're just outside of their chain length. Yeah, that's the song feels like that where it's like I trust the chain, but oh my god, that's a dog. Yeah, the danger is still there, but you know, like sixty five percent, you know that you're safe. Right, but there's still that level of danger there because seventy five percent danger. Yeah, that's math. Yeah, that works. <laughs> so yet again, we have our, our same musical structure. We get that funky, grungy, nice, dirty, the same same sound for the first three verses, which is our, our historical poetic Ida excerpt. Then we have a, a fairly substantial granola of a breakdown. Yes. And then we come up into the present, which is reminiscent of that first sound, but it has its own distinct sound as well. It does. And then we go back into an instrumental section mm-hmm. and we get wrapped up by the woo-woos. Wrapped up by the woo-woos. Under wraps, wrap you in my woo-woos. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, these songs. I'm finding, I'm finding an appreciation musically for them as I nitpick and pull out all the, the interesting bits here. But I still feel like I still feel like there's only there's only so much we can really dig into these songs, and I'm not sure what it is. It feels like it's not as as meaty as earlier stuff. I wonder because I I recognize the feeling that you're experiencing, and I wonder if it is just the longer that we sit with it because we've had such a relatively little amount of time between hearing this album for the first time and starting to talk about it. I wonder if it is like all tell albums, it needs to sit, it needs to ferment, it needs to marinate, funkify in our basements. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there is a, a huge degree of that. Absolutely. Changing the topic, have you heard of the sport or event called Healing to Music? H-E-E-L. I've definitely not. If you want to see some really cute stuff, look up Healing to Music competitions on the YouTube. And I would call it fancy dog dancing. But it's like owners and their dogs choreograph routines to songs, to music. It feels relevant somehow. It's a bit absurd. But how amazing that they can train the dogs to do those things. It's really cute. There's one that's that's to a Dolly Parton song. It's adorable. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's probably the the premier dog healing to music, and she actually is using a healer. The dog is a healer. Yeah, interesting. I think it's a blue healer, which is Bluey's Bluey's dad. Bandit is a blue healer. Wow, this conversation there went you go. sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, halfway. Welcome, everybody. I hope you brought your doggy bags and your poo-poo bags. <laughs> your doggy poo-poos. What, did they leave them in the pool? No, a kitten went into a pool. I don't remember. What? <laughs> I'm thinking of two different Jethro Tull songs, one of which the kitten goes in the pool. And through the kitten hands of my new pool. Remember the one where it's like the guy who who's trying to scare the people out of the the neighborhood? Down at the end of your road. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one has doggy poo-poos. Since doggy poo-poos in your morning mail. All right. Nick, we actually have an email. Sweet sassafras that we do. We have a new writer inner email jumpstart. Marcus writes, title, The Podcast I Wish I'd Thought Of First. <laughs> Do you, Marcus? Do you really? Do you want to be trapped in this never-ending hell? All right, he starts. Hello, Omen and Nick. I don't quite remember exactly how I came across the podcast first, but I'm so happy I did. My jumpstart was back in the dark ages, when you may or may not have had a friend lend you these thin, circular-shaped discs that were compact. I heard what I thought was a compilation of songs which mixed acoustic and electric guitars and the flute. I thought it was so interesting and varied that it had to span 20 years or so of material from this group with a peculiar name, Jethro Tull. Was it the lead singer's first name, a solo project? All would be revealed very soon as it piqued my interest. What I thought was a compilation turned out to be a single album, that being Aqualung. Wow! All these different types of songs, hard rockers, soft acoustic numbers, bluesy rocks, all by one band on one album. How fascinating. I had to hear more. I told my friend how much I liked it. Oh yeah, he said. I've got another CD. Check this out and see what you think. There's even more variety. A few songs with saxophone, Overseer Overture, Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. Who's playing that? Jethro Tull plays saxophone too? Wow, what a guy. <laughs> I was hooked. <laughs> I soon found out Jethro was the name of the band. And Ian Anderson was the front man who played acoustic guitar, flute, and sang. Oh yeah, he plays saxophone, keyboards, and the drums on Locomotive Breath. Wow, what a guy. Anyway, this started my lifelong fandom of the group Jethro Tull and Ian Anderson. I've seen Ian and the boys three times. Sadly, I wish it were more. The first time was in 2005 at the historic Majestic Theater in my hometown of Dallas, Texas. They played all of Aqualung, how fitting. The first time <laughs> I saw them played the played album that jump-started it all for me. The atmosphere of that venue, along with the variety and execution of the music, is something I will hold dear for the rest of my life. The second time I saw them play Thick as a Brick and Thick as a Brick 2, both in their entirety, along with the usual live staples, Aqualung, Locomotive Breath, and a few more. The last was in 2014 on their Greatest Hits Tour. Of course, Ian played a few deep cuts, including a few songs from another favorite, a passion play. Controversial, I know. Anyhow, I have a tall album for every mood, every season, and many great memories. My best friend and I used to sit back, maybe in the grip of stronger stuff, and dissect the minutia of every song, every lyric, 20 years before you guys made a podcast out of it all. Each time I've seen Ian and Jethro Tull, he was there too. So safe to say he's hooked too, out of friend. His dad was a lifelong fan, and we played Tull songs at their backyard hippie wedding. Sadly, he passed a few years ago, but of course we played Tull at his memorial. Anyhow, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for actually making the podcast. I was not intelligent, motivated, or skilled enough to do some years ago. Not that we were either. 
I have so much more to share, but I'll leave you with this rambling for now. Sincerely, Marcus. Marcus, thank you so much. That was a real Bowie knife of love straight into our hearts. That story sounds very similar to ours. 20 years before we started the podcast, we were sitting in your kitchen, your mom's kitchen, talking about Jethro Tull. Yeah, the stronger stuff was Twining's Black Tea. Yes. Yeah. At one in the morning, that's pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> that was as strong as we could get in Mexico, New York. Well, as, that we knew about anyway. Yeah. Marcus, thank you so much for your jumpstart and for listening. It's really, you know, it's really amazing that you have a tall friend. So many people don't. So many people are are on their own little rock islands. And this is kind of the message in a bottle that comes to them to sustain them and, you know, keep them knowing that they haven't actually gone mad and fabricated this whole Jethro Tull experience. But you, you were really lucky that you have a, a, a Jethro Tull best friend like, like we have. Yeah. So and maybe in some alternate universe, you do probably have a podcast with your friend and we are the ones listening to it. Ruining the fact that we did not start a podcast. Or maybe thinking, oh, we dodged a bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It sounds pretty nice. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, what a great window into your experience. Omen. Nick. Before we go back into the song itself, I have two little tall anecdotes that I have experienced in the past week or so that I, I wanted to share. I would like you to share them with me and with us. Buckle up. Here it goes. Don't. So the, the, fir <laughs> the first one is I was working on the pool outside. I had a passion play playing on the speaker. And Rook came over and he's, he's listening to it. And Hare Who Lost His Spectacles came on. Okay. And for those not initiated, you know, like Hare Who Lost His Spectacles kind of throws everybody for a loop. So Rook's listening to it kind of had cocked questioning look and then he hears let's see what's the lyric the hare has lost his spectacles the hare has lost his spectacles rook says gross and i said no do you know what spectacles are and he he looks at me confusedly and he says no i said do you think he said testicles and he said yeah i said no spectacles are glasses that's funny Spectacles. Gross. I think that that phrase was created with the an awareness that it was a little bit of a it was a cousin. It's not a rhyme exactly. Yeah, it's it's an it's a word cousin. It's a sonic illusion. Yeah, it's a word yeah. cousin. I want to marry. <laughs> if marrying word cousins is illegal, I want to be a felon. I don't know. Um, my other story, my other story is just last night, Ray and I were on the couch watching Boogie Nights. I'm showing her Boogie Nights for the first time, which is a phenomenal film, not for children, but very, very good film. And near the end, there is a part where a couple of the characters are, are running out of a house and you hear this mad bongo and tambourine. Uh-huh.
we watch everything with subtitles. Uh huh. Because Rook's room is right next door, so we keep everything low and we can read along. Um, we're also old. So normally when a song comes on, especially in, in that movie, there's a song like every two seconds. And it'll tell you this song from this person starts playing. Did not happen for this song. But I paused it. I was like, it's so weird to choose a Jethro Tull song there. And Ray turns to me and she goes, oh, that, that was Fat Man? And I was like, what? Wow. Ray called Fat Man. <laughs> it was a weird choice because it, it was just the Mando, just the very beginning. No, like I know the, the part. The, the tam- dum, 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 yeah. I can imagine that that could be a good choice for like if somebody's running around. But it lasted for like 10, 15 seconds. It was barely recognizable. Like, why would you pay to have that song there? Just very strange, very strange choice. Regardless, Raven recognized Fat Man. Wow. And I was like, how did you know that? Congratulations. You must be very proud. Yeah. <laughs> she, she thinks that she, she listened to the first couple of episodes of the, the podcast. So she thinks that that's probably where she, she picked it up from. Huh. But um, yeah. I'm getting in there. <laughs> wow. Indoctrinating her without her knowledge. There's a, um, you know, the film Almost Famous? Teacher, right? Yes, Teacher's in there. Yeah. You can hear it through the door where they're having a conversation. You can hear that bass line coming through. Yeah, someone comes out of the back of the, the stage door and it's, it right. kind of becomes louder and then gets quiet. You again. just yeah. hear it muffled. Yeah. yeah. I'm William Miller, and I'm here from Cream Magazine to interview Black Sabbath. Not on the list. Good chat. There are very few spots of that. In films. Oh, there was a trailer for something not too old that used locomotive breath, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, not it's not that old because I, I remember posting it in the Discord. So, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's there. Places, everyone! Look scary! Every pirate captain captains pirates differently. In the shuffle, Traditionally, piracy is a culture of abuse. And my thought is, why can't one be a gentleman and a pirate? We're swashbuckling. Let's have fun with it. This is how you die. That must have been a spicy little paycheck. Yeah, I'm sure. Good for them. Yeah. Nick, we are talking about Fenrir the wolf. That we are. Do you have the little blurb that Ian wrote or do you want me to, to do it? I haven't it. Okay. So from the lyric book from the insert in the physical media, pull out your eight tracks, everybody. Ian writes, Fenrir, quote, he who dwells in the marshes, unquote, Mm -hmm. is the famous wolf in Norse mythology. The gods had the dwarves forge the strongest chain ever built to bind Fenrir. He refuses to be bound unless one of the gods would stick his hand in Fenrir's mouth as a pledge of good faith. Mm-hmm. Only Tyr was brave enough to do this, knowing that it would mean the loss of his hand. And when Fenrir finds himself unable to break free of his bonds, he rips Tyr's hand off. Yeah. Boom. If it were me, 
I would have gotten a plastic hand. The fake hand, yeah. Put it in my sleeve. <laughs> the Neil Gaiman version of this tale is actually really nice because leading up to this point, he kind of creates a relationship between Tyr and Fenrir. Right. It makes it all the more kind of emotional when, when he has to do this. So what happens is Odin and company find out that Loki has kids. Right. And they are the Midgard Serpent, or Gamunga Commander. Gander, yep. Fenrir and Hell. Yeah. So there's a prophecy or whatever that, that Loki's, Loki's offspring will be the end of the world, whatever. So they go hunting them. Right. They throw Jormungandr in the sea, and then he wraps around Midgard, the, the Midgard right. Sea. They throw right. Hell in, in Hell. And for some reason, they, they, keep, they keep Fenrir. I wonder, do they think that he's redeemable? Or is it, is it because he's a dog? They're like, maybe we can tame him? It seems that he and Tyr kind of get a really good relationship. And the, the only time, that, the point that they get to like, we, we have to do something about this is when he's massive. Right. He's bigger than the gods. So they're like, we got to do something about this. Yeah, he keeps, he keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they chain him down with a couple of things. They're like, we think you're super strong. I bet mm -hmm. you you can break these chains. And he does. And they, yeah. they do it a couple of times. And finally, he's like, I don't, I don't trust you guys to do this with these chains. So I need insurance, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's when Tyr's like, he, and he says specifically, I want someone's hand in my mouth. And yes. Tyr, Tyr's kind of like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. He gets caught in the chains. He, he can't break out this time. He's livid. And then Tyr and he make eye contact and Tyr kind of just gives him the nod, like, all right, you got to do it. And he rips it off. Wow, interesting. So that's Neil Gaiman's version of it. That's Neil Gaiman's version, yeah. I love the detail of building in the relationship between Tyr and Fenrir. I don't know that that's necessarily represented in the Edas. He did preface the book with, like he said, he tried not to add too much fiction, you know? He tried to stay right. really, really truthful to the tales. And you can kind of tell that because it's kind of dry language, Right. You know, it's not what I would expect from Neil Gaiman, but it's, I mean, it's still well-written. It's still interesting stories. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it is there, but looking at these excerpts from the poetic Edo, we clearly don't see that. Yeah. Maybe it was just that, you know, maybe he's reading between the lines as one, as one must. Yeah. Some of the details about that third chain, it has a name. All of them had names. And the third one is called Glyphnir. It was forged by the dwarves. Yep. It is as smooth as silk, as thin as a ribbon. Yeah. And is the strongest thing in the universe. So right. with the way that they tricked Fenrir into, into the chains the first couple times is to say, look, everybody knows you're strong, but if you can break this, and then if you can break this stronger one, it'll make you famous. It'll bring you glory. Mm -hmm. And so when they bring Glyphnir, it looks like just a little silken thread. And he's like, well, if I break that, it doesn't look very strong. That's right. Yeah. So there's no glory for me. Exactly, yeah. It's like, why would I bother? So this feels like a trick. Mm -hmm. I love the, the description of it, that the more he struggles against it, the tighter it becomes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tyr is, I believe, the origin of Tuesday, Tyr's Day. Yes, yes, yep. And his symbol is, a, is his rune in... Norse is just an arrow, 
like an upward pointing arrow and it and it's the symbol for courage so he is literally synonymous with with courage he's one of the most powerful of the aesir patron of warriors and mythological heroes right the prophecy from the the vol the volgava the volva is specifically about how fenrir is going to kill odin mm -hmm. and that odin's son vidar kills Fenrir. Fenris also eats the moon at one point. I think that's one of the one of the moments when they realize, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, we have to do something about this. And I believe that that is also the explanation of the lunar eclipse. Mm. And I think during Ragnarok, he eats the sun, causing a solar eclipse. I believe that's one of the features of, of Ragnarok. Just to clarify real quick, Fenrir, Fenris, and Fenris Wolf are synonymous. It's He goes by all of those. Yes. He prefers Dave, but if you have to. <laughs> Fenris Wolf is my father. Call me Dave. So at this place where they chain him down is in the middle of a lake, mm. like on a, on a rock in the middle of a, of a lake. And so it's it's very remote. And... The gods thrust a sword into Fenrir's mouth. Its hilt touched the lower jaw and the point the upper one so that he was gagged. Yeah. The saliva ran from his mouth and formed the river Van, which means hope. Mm-hmm. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really cool tale. I like it. I like it a lot. So... Loki's baby mama is a Jotun who is one of the giants. Yes. And her name is Angraboda. Just throwing that out there, giving her some love. There's a great expression in one of these tellings. It's being, this, this whole story is being told by some king in disguise for some reason. And he says that at the start of Ragnarok, there will be many men in Valhalla and many more who will arrive, yet they will seem too few when the wolf comes. Mmm. <laughs> Goosebumps. Nice. It. There are many men here. They will seem too few when the wolf comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's scary. I mean, he kills Odin. He eats Odin. Odin kills him in the process, but like Odin's son does. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he avenges him. Uh Vidar survives. You're thinking of Thor and Thor and Jormungandr. And yeah. Jormungandr kill each other. Yeah in kind of a Hamlet poisoned, but dealing a death stroke at the same time right. situation. Yeah. He does encounter Jormungandr prior to that when he goes out fishing with, with a, a giant, but he dodges the, the venomous spit every single time. Wow. You know, I feel like the Norse myths, like obviously we just came off of the Zealot gene. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, especially with the New Testament, you really have this, this forward marching narrative. It's like one single narrative yeah. where everything happens. You have different versions of it. Yeah. The Norse myths feel more similar to the Old Testament in the sense that it's more episodic. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's a beginning. Yeah, there's an end. But everything that's in the that's in between is just sort of like, here's a cool story about this, and it's really great, and we can expand on it and kind of make it as detailed as we want. But it doesn't necessarily really connect to anything except in the tenuosity the grander scheme yeah it's it's the universe it's the norse universe you know but i mean some of that or probably a great deal of that we can attribute to the fact that we only have so much 
of this writing. It could be. You know, the Old Testament is like the book, you know, like things can get lost in translation or whatever, but like these are the stories of the Old Testament. Whereas these Norse myths, we have the Poetic Eda and what's the other one that Snurri wrote? The Prosida. Prosida, yeah. I think there might be a comparison there because the Old Testament was all oral tradition stories that got eventually written down. Mm -hmm. And this is the similar situation of, you know, a bunch of oral traditions that then got written down. And, and you know, maybe the, who knows what fragments of Judaic tradition, Judeo-Christian tradition that was in the form of storytelling, we don't have. Right. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. I mean, maybe it was just as disparate and they just had a better publisher, so it got put together and seems like it's it's part of the whole book, you know? <laughs> they did have a better publisher. The Holy Roman Empire was an excellent publisher. Right, yeah. Who did the printing press? The Chinese. Eli Whitney? No, he was the cotton gin. Eli <laughs> <laughs> Whitney. Gutenberg. Gutenberg, thank you. Gutenberg Bible, yeah. I mean, that was a game changer. It was. And it spread, yeah. Now you get a Bible, and you get a Bible. You can hardly throw a rock without hitting a Bible. <laughs> They've asked me to stop throwing rocks at Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> I've been escorted out of so many churches. I heard a story from Snoop Dogg. Somebody was interviewing him, and and they were like, they were talking, you know, about his, his smoking habits, and they were like, "Have you ever rolled a blunt with Bible paper?" And he was like, "Well, actually, one time, <laughs> he was in a hotel somewhere, and they there was the Gideon's Bible there, and he was like, "Well, it's real thin paper." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is super thin paper. Yeah, yeah. You called it smoking habits. I think. I think it's more of like that's his existence and anything else is a habit. He has an eating habit. He has, he has a hip hop <laughs> habit. Yeah. That is a side gig to his smoking career. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. <laughs> <laughs> he said that the only person who's ever out, I don't know why we're talking about Snoop Dogg because he got that dog in him much like Fenrir. There it is. He said that the only person who's ever outsmoked him was Willie Nelson. I believe it. He and Willie Nelson were touring together in Amsterdam and had been like inhaling moon rocks all day or something like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know exactly what that means. Moon rocks are pure poison. If anybody gets that reference, write in moms at fecklessmoms.com. Let me know. I don't get that reference. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> wow. I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> anyway, so... He was like smoking some moon rocks that he and Willie had been smoking all day. And Willie was performing mm -hmm. on stage and Snoop was like up next or something. And suddenly everybody was like, Snoop, Snoop, you okay, man? Like, what's wrong? And he didn't realize he had, he had started crying <laughs> just watching <laughs> Willie Nelson. And they were like, Snoop, Snoop, what's wrong, man? What's wrong, dog? And he was like, it's just so beautiful, man. I can't believe oh. that we're here doing this concert. It's so beautiful. They're like, damn, drink some water or something. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That is a life choice. Anyway, back to the song. So those first three lyrics are pretty, pretty much, I mean, cover exactly what, what we were talking about. I mean, he, his... It's Ian's Poetic Eda. The Anderson Eda. 
he writes it so beautifully, too. It's so beautifully poetic here. His version of this translation, it's really nice. It's really, really nice. We've got the allusion to, to the jaws agape. He is all set to roam and havoc, make amongst the nine worlds of the sun. All set to roam and havoc, make amongst the nine worlds of the sun. That's an allusion to Ragnarok when he gets free. Soft as silk, strong fetters. Soft as silk, strong fetters fixed. We get through to the point where, oh, we have, that's really nice. We have all set to roam and havoc, make amongst the nine worlds of the sun. And then at the very end of that section, we have, and free at last with jaws against the ground and sky, the final night. All set to roam and havoc, make amongst the nine worlds of the sun. So we have a night and day reference there. And, you know, you had talked about in the early days of Fenrir how they, as he kept eating, he kept getting bigger and bigger. And there's something very archetypical about him as a monster, that the more he eats, the bigger he gets. Yeah. But I just remembered that there is a description of him in Ragnarok that when he gets free... He eats some stuff on the way to Ragnarok. He does a little pre-gaming. Oh. And by the time he arrives at the final battle, when he opens his mouth, his bottom teeth scrape the ground and his top teeth scrape the sky itself. Oh, that's so cool. He big. Yeah, with jaws against the ground and sky. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So then we switch into... Ian's version of it, and I freaking love this. Ian Ida. Yeah. Curled at my feet in sleep. Teruvian Malnois or Gorongdal. Curled at my feet in sleep. Terfuran Malinois or Gorongdal. Those are three types of dogs. Yeah, yeah. In the, let's see, in the book, it says, lyric reference, Tervuren, Malinois, and Gronendal, breeds of the Belgian shepherd dog who retain some characteristics of their feral cousins. Ian has a long association with the Belgian breeds. So they look wolfy? I bet you they do, yeah. Belgian shepherd. Oh, yeah. A shepherd's friend, unfettered loyalty, sweet devotion, natural. A shepherd's friend, unfettered loyalty, sweet devotion, natural. Dreaming of a wilder past, a wilder bark, the howl, the growl, soft limb to tear and bone to grind, the postman corpse to disembowel. Dreaming of a wilder past, a wilder bark, the howl, the growl, soft limb to tear and bone to grind, the postman corpse to disembowel. I love that line. I love that. That's the button. I love that so much. (laughs) It's great. It's really, really beautiful because it's true. I've not always been a dog lover and I've never had a dog. I've been a dog uncle. A dunkle. A dunkle. And it's true. You know, I'm staying with my in-laws and they have two very silly, funny dogs. One of them is a, a Springer Spaniel and the other one is a Clumber. And when the Amazon guy comes to drop off packages, they go crazy. Mm-hmm. because they, like the way that dogs evolved with humanity from wolves, they're hardwired to 
form a connection, like what you were talking about with Tyr and, right. and Fenris. And that's what he's describing, you know, the, the shepherd's friend, unfettered loyalty. I love the play between the fetter that bound mm -hmm. the wolf and the unfettered loyalty of the dog. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's present day, there's past, there's a glimpse of that past. But it's also kind of just like, in the briefest of moments, there's like an appreciation of the domesticated dog, you know? It's not oh, it's not yeah. quite as committed as Heavy Horses, the entire song, you know? But it's it's a drip in there, and it's it's interesting to see. Yes, we appreciate them, but remember what they came from, and who knows, maybe they kind of have an inkling to go back to that. It's kind of hunt by numbers for dogs. Hmm, yeah, bark by numbers. Hunt by clumbers. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb. Yes. I'm going to doggy paddle out into the depths. Please. Is there an implication that, is there a potential read of this song that we as human beings in, a, in this modern society are domesticated, unfetteredly loyal, sweet devotion friend beings. And yet we carry in our past this unimaginable, unfetterable, savage quality to set havoc to the nine worlds. I mean, that's pretty gosh darn legit. And there are theories out there. I think I heard something on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, like just this past week or, or the week prior, where there is a going theory that dogs domesticated us. Yeah, I've always I've always sort of heard of it as a co-evolutionary process. Yeah. Right. But that's really interesting. A co-domestication. So so the the running theory is that when humans started staying in one spot rather than roaming to harvest with the seasons, they're obviously they would throw their bones and their refuse somewhere. Eventually wild dogs came and were like, "Oh, hey, free food. Free bones." And wild dogs learned Oh, if they get eaten by this this Smilodon, I don't get free food anymore. So I'm going to protect them. And then the guy sees that the dog is protecting him. Is oh hey, have this bone. Thank you for protecting right. me. And it's this this really symbiotic relationship. And yeah, I mean it, it is side by side going up the ladder. And now I have a dumb pit bull who's terrified of <laughs> <laughs> of a bird out the window. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there was also because wolves hunt in packs and human beings mm -hmm. traditionally at that time hunted in packs. Sure. I wonder if there was some sort of like species recognition of, hey, we have a better shot at taking down this mastodon if we work together. And there's plenty for everybody to go around and we can all enjoy the feast at the end. Oh, sure. Interesting. Yeah, I, th I think that's... I think it's certainly possible, you know, I'm, I'm not sure there's, there's anything definitive about that, but I mean, it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. And it was about 20,000 years ago is my understanding. I'll check the calendar. Oh, I'm busy that day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm getting a perm. <laughs> well, maybe I should get a perm. I'm getting a haircut tomorrow. I'll ask. Perm the mustache though. Oh yeah. The tightest little curls. <laughs> I, 
I think we're seeing a definitive pattern here where we're really getting an appreciation for the music. We are finding it hard pressed to talk lyrically, specifically lyrically, because we just kind of tell the tale on on our own. Uh, but it fits, you know. And then you can kind of go back to the the lyrics. I think that's this album in itself is so kind of edge case that it it's working. We found a flow for this album finally. I think. Nick, what are we talking about next week? Next week we are talking about. Uh, it's a song about me, actually. It's called The Perfect the One. The Perfect One. Mm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be about... Balder. 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 You're looking a little balder than you were. I have a luscious head of hair, thank you very much. Until next week, our t-shirts are not made of silk, strong fetters. They are made of a very soft cotton. And they will not bind you tighter and tighter the more you, you move. So give yourself a treat and uh, look at our Tee Public page and, and, and check out the, uh, the, the Talk Tall to Me merch there. Why don't you? I will literally stick my hand into your mouth for the first month that you are subscribed to our Patreon page. And if you don't like it, you can bite it off. <laughs> Tell us what wilder past you dream of, that past of your jumpstart. Reach out to us. Let us know. Why don't you write it in your review when you give us five stars, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. From out of the marsh, I am Nick McGill. I've got a bone to grind, Omen Thomas said. We are here to calm and restrain the rage. We are the feckless moms. And this is the podcast of the Nine Worlds Talk Tell to Me. Welcome to Pretty Pups and Dirty Doggies. How can I woof you today? Hello there. I have a very dirty doggy. That I need cleaned. Oh, you've come to the right place. You do that? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, first time customers, so I just want to get your name on file. What's your first name? Tyr. Okay, great. And what's your last name? Aesir. Ah, oh, very good, very good. Great. We'd love to just get you in here. So before we start, we, we need to know what's the breed of your little poochie? Wolf. Okay, great. Wow. I'm going to make sure that we get our dwarf room available just because we don't get a lot of wolves in here. So I just want to make sure that the dwarves are available. Yes, they're here. They're here, all seven of them. He's very big. Do you have a, a, a garage door or something that, to get to bring him in? He's, he's pretty big. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That's actually a specialty of ours. Let me just radio back and get them to open up the subterranean washing pit. Perfect. Oh, we've got a code W. Code W for the back line. Yeah, okay. Okay, it's just going to be two minutes. So is it going to be a general grooming? Do you have a preference of shampoo scent? I'd like to try coconut this time. Oh, perfect. Oh, that's going to be great for his shine. What a cute little poochie. Do you want to back him up there on that tractor trailer? Uh, yes. Loki! Loki, bring him round! Beep, beep.
Now, uh, I, I see that you offer other services. Could you take care of his nails? They're getting very, very sharp. Careful! Loki, be careful! He's my baby! Don't worry about that wall. We have insurance. It happens two or three times a okay. month. Good. Yeah, we just got in some new adamantium clippers. So uh, first time we'll get to use those. That's going to be great. I'll make sure that this chainsaw is all oiled up. Perfect. I see that you have a kind of a, a combination package. I think... I think since it's his first time, we'll treat him and, and we'll we'll get the full package. We'll do the nails and the, okay. the shampoo. Yeah, and that comes with a complimentary styling of any choice that you like. Okay, I hear Perfect. that he's in there. We're just going to go back. We're just going to turn on the fire hoses here, and they're already loaded with the coconut oil. Perfect. He's a very hungry boy. Oh, he sure is. Would he like a treat of man flesh? Because we we have some. They're 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 filled with CBDs. <laughs> They'll make him a little bit sleepy. Oh yes, please, as many as possible. Yes. Okay, Jamie, release the prisoners. Loaded them up with high quality CBD oil. <laughs> okay. This place has been talked up, and I really doubted it. But I I have to tell you, I'm very impressed. We're actually the the favorite dog grooming place of the Yoten. Wow. We have five stars on Asgard's list. <laughs> this is probably customary, but um, he's been rubbing his butt on the carpet a lot. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be anal glands. Now, normally we don't mind just doing that, but in this case, because of the size of this particular hound, I do need for you to sign a waiver just because we've lost dwarves up there before and, uh, and they're very expensive. Yes, yes. You don't mind signing right here? Yes. Initial here. Uh-huh. Rune mark goes here. Yes. And that'll be it. Would you like a complimentary barrel of mead to drink while you wait? That would be lovely. Oh, I, c I can wait in shop? It will be that quick? Oh, yeah. yeah we're almost done. If this you, service. He's, he's, almost, uh, he's almost done right now. I'm so impressed. You go check on my baby. I'll I'll go over here. I'll, I'll look at these magazines. Okay, Thank let me you. just open this door. <laughs> oh, podcasting monthly. Hmm. Oh, look at this. Oh, this says, Doc Peltamy is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network. The <laughs> trash. Oh, here my he baby. Is. You're so beautiful. 